John chapter 15, again, as we uh, celebrate our independence as a nation, I think it's important for us to understand that we are entirely dependent upon God for it. So uh, while we celebrate our independence, we celebrate our dependence as well. John chapter 15, uh, Jesus uh, said, starting in verse number 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us today to understand what it is that you desire to communicate. Lord, I know you can take any message that's, that comes from your word, and you can apply it just like it needs to be applied in an individual heart. Lord, I'm asking you to do that today. I'm asking, Father, that you would let this message be delivered in the demonstration of thy spirit, not just the, the mere strength of, of a human being, but with the power of God. Lord, I pray that you'd help, help me as the preacher to preach uh, in your presence, to preach as it is the word of God. And also, Father, that you would help those who listen in attendance to, uh, to receive what is preached as it is the word of God. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 15 involves the Christian's forever relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, their, their union uh, with Him. Uh, it is a picture of their spiritual life with God the Father as the husbandman. We find that in verse number 1, I'm the true vine. My Father is the husbandman, uh, just for sake of clarification. Uh, to understand what that is, it's not a word that we see very often, the husbandman be the farmer, the, uh, the property owner. Um, Jesus is, uh, is here as represented as the vine, and all those who have trusted in Christ alone as their only hope of relationship with God and a home in His presence for eternity, they are the branches. And there is a union uh, that the Christian has with the Lord Jesus Christ that is inseparable in quality and in character. Uh, separated from Christ, the Christian is nothing. They, they wither away and they die. But in him, all strength and blessing flow abundantly in them when they are abiding in Christ. The Christian's forever union with Christ is a remarkable, wonderful thing. Uh, we are not, as Christians, are not occasionally joined to Christ, not in Christ today and out of Christ tomorrow. Uh, not uh, uh, in Christ just at church, but joined to Christ in every area, facet, and fortune of our lives. All Christians uh, form, uh, from all the ages are, form one plant in Christ. So whether, so whether we're a branch that is way down toward the root or a branch that is way up toward the top, 
whether it uh, is the saints of Pentecost or the saints at the last day, uh, we, all of us, are one in Christ. Whether apostles and martyrs or whether uh, Christians at the end time, uh, all of us are part of the same vine whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We have a, we have a, 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 a unity there. We uh, assemble under the same banner, in the same vine, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. As throughout the centuries and all generations, all believers are uh, not only in one vine, we're one in Him. And the purpose is uh, that all of us bear fruit. There's not a Christian alive that God does not intend to bear fruit. God intends for that to happen. God has determined that the Christian is to be, strangely, I know this is going to sound strange, but I'll show you from the Word of God. Uh, God has determined that the Christian is to be as necessary to the Lord as he is to them. Now, I'll show you in 1 Corinthians, it's quite a, a remarkable statement when I say that, uh, that the uh, Christian is to be as necessary to the Lord as the Lord is to them. First uh, Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse number 21, the Word of God says, For after that in the wisdom of God, I'll give you just a second to get there. I'll grab a sip of water because my, my allergies are still beating me up pretty good. I woke up this morning and felt some, like somebody hit me in the face with a flat shovel. Probably looked like it too. First Corinthians chapter 1, and starting in verse number 21, what I want to illustrate for you here from the Scriptures is that God has designed for the Christian to be as necessary to the Lord as the Lord is, is to them. In verse number 21 of 1 Corinthians 1, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, Paul is writing under divine inspiration of God to the church at Corinth, so he's talking to the church. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, and not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And I think this is a place where we can find God's design uh, for the Christian is to, for the Christian to be as necessary for the Lord as the Lord is to them. And I go back to John chapter 15, not Jonah, that's where we'll be tonight. John chapter 15, and I look at, the, at that picture that Christ paints for us of being the, the vine and the branches. And so uh, what, what we're trying to communicate here is that fruit is not born on the vine. You need branches to bear fruit, right? Now, is the, is the vine necessary? Absolutely. The branch has no life in and of itself, but the, the vine flows through the branch to produce the fruit, but the branch bears the fruit. It, it, uh, it, uh, it holds the fruit. And so uh, if there's no fruit, uh, 
we, the Lord takes uh, that away, they wither and they die. Uh, if the branch is not in the vine, it can't receive the nourishment that it needs to produce fruit. And so there's a, there's a connection there that God has designed it. Why? Why did God do it that way? God could have done it anyway, but he chose the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He chose to use us. It was by his design that we, we would be as necessary to the Lord as the, as the Lord is to us. It's just the way that God designed it. Now, again, when the, the, there's no fruit on the branches, uh, he, he takes that believer out of the way. They wither and die. God says there in verse number 6, men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. That does not mean they lose their salvation. It means that they're taken out of the way. Now, I, I, I hope you understand that, that the Word of God doesn't contradict itself. You, you, the rest of the Word of God, as it talks about, speaks of the forever relationship that the Christian has with the Lord, cannot be undone by this passage of Scripture like some people try to use it. They try to say that, well, see, here is a, an example of how a person can lose their salvation. No, that's not what it's talking about. What it's referring to is that, is that uh, a Christian who does not bear fruit, uh, God may come to a point where he has to take that thing out of the way, get it out of the way, uh, so that it doesn't, it's not a sucker. You have, I have a, a plum tree in our front yard, and I've got an apple tree in the backyard. You know what a sucker is? It's one of them little goofy old branches that sprouts up out of the ground and, and sucks all the, uh, take, or it, it takes nourishment away from the tree and the production of fruit and so forth. So God doesn't want no suckers, right? <laughs> uh, uh, I did, that wasn't in my notes. Uh, but, uh, but the idea there is it's trimmed, it's taken out of the way, and God forbid that should happen. I don't want that to happen to me. Uh, I, I think of, of uh, men that started with me in the ministry, and, I, and I've watched over the years as, as they have become fruitless sometimes in their in their lives as Christians and in their ministries, and God's taken them out of the way. God's taken them out of the way. It's impossible for us to truly judge that, but uh, you know that that is something that's presented there. If uh, if we want to abide in Christ, maybe 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 God just needs to take us out of the way. Wouldn't that be a shame? Wouldn't that be a shame? I think that's one of Paul's greatest motivations. Uh, I thought about what uh, he wrote to the saints at Corinth there in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He said, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a, a castaway. He said, I don't want to be taken out of the way. I want to be a fruitful Christian. And so it's something to consider there in verse number 6 as we talk about uh, this subject of, uh, of bearing fruit. It's wonderful, I think, to consider those of whom the Lord says they bear fruit, uh, more fruit, uh, much fruit for the glory of God. And that's wonderful. Don't, maybe uh, you know somebody that if, if I talked about uh, a person who, who has borne fruit as a Christian, not just some fruit, but more fruit, much fruit, everything they did, they were like the, they had the mightest touch when it came to bearing fruit for God. And everything they touched, the Lord blessed it, you know, and they bore fruit in their life and in their ministry. You might know somebody like that. You know, it's a wonderful thing to think about that. They, and they did it. And uh, their reward is great. But they didn't do it on their own. You know that? And, and that's where we're getting this morning down to one phrase that we, we find. I, I kind of slowed down a minute ago when I read it. And we, we know that although they may have borne uh, fruit, much fruit, more fruit uh, for the glory of God, 
uh, they didn't do it on their own. And we know that because of the phrase we find recorded in John 15 and verse number 5. And again, uh, we celebrate tomorrow the independence of our nation, but today I thought it would be appropriate, uh, appropriate as we do that to celebrate our dependence on Him because John 15, 5 says, without Him, without Christ, Jesus said, ye can do what? Nothing. 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 That's, that's a pretty straightforward word. You know, on occasion I have people tell me that uh, I don't understand biblical language. Well, there's nothing difficult to understand about that, is there? Christ said, without me, ye can do nothing. Absolutely nothing. It doesn't say ye can't. There's some things you can do without me. No, it doesn't say that. He said, without me, ye can do nothing. Now, I want to take that phrase and I want to uh, draw our text from it and break it down and build upon it uh, for the remainder of the time that we have together this morning. Um, notice the first two words, without me, without me. I don't think there's a more tragic phrase in the Word of God than the words, without me, without Christ. I thought about that. First John chapter 5 and verse number 11, the Word of God says, this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Verse 12 says, He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You know, the Word of God tells us that there are only two types of people in this world. You always find that. It's interesting. As you study the Word of God, there's, there's only two. Uh, there's sheep and there's goats. There's wheat and there's tares. There's, there's only ever two. And then we run across this passage of Scripture in John chapter 5. We find out that there's the haves and the have-nots. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not uh, life. There, there are those with Christ and there are those without Christ. And that's, that's a tragic statement, without Christ. Now with Christ, a person has the righteousness and eternal life that they're missing from birth. That's with Christ. You see, Christ is the life and righteousness that we're missing from birth. That's what necessitates the rebirth. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus that he was a devout, sincere uh, Pharisee. I mean, I just, I don't think there's any way you can deny that. Uh, I know that Jesus wasn't always, Jesus was never um, uh, real big on the Pharisees. Every time you see him, he's, you know, he's saying something to them to try to get their attention. Uh, but uh, I don't think we could deny that the Pharisees were sincere. I mean, they were sincere. There's a lot of people in this world that are like that. They're not necessarily Pharisaical, but they're very sincere in what they believe. These, uh, these Pharisees, they were very, very sincere in, in what they believed. Uh, Nicodemus would, would have been no exception to that. Yet Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. That really confused Nicodemus. See, Nicodemus didn't understand biblical language. Men have never understood biblical language. I also think about the Ethiopian eunuch as he read the, the, uh, uh, the scriptures. Uh, Philip the evangelist came up to him and, and said, do you understand what you're reading? And that educated Ethiopian eunuch said, how can I except some man should guide me? You see, people have never understood that biblical language. And going back to Nicodemus, Jesus said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus was confused about that. He said, Jesus then replied to him after uh, some more conversation, marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. 
And the, why, why do we need to be born again? That's biblical language. The reason we need to be born again is because um, we're, uh, we're a have-not. We've been uh, born with a body and a soul, but our spirit, our ability to worship and walk with God is dead. And we need to be born again into the image that God intended for man to be. When God created man, He created man, a, a three-in-one God created a three-in-one man. But man spoiled that, tainted, tar- tarnished that, that image of God. Matter of fact, the book of Genesis tells us that after Adam sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, that they had a son, his name was Seth, and Seth was born in Adam's image, in Adam's likeness, not in God's image, in God's likeness. You see, that's why we must be born again. Because when we're born into this world, we're, we're born with a body, a soul, but we're born with a spiritual birth defect. Somebody said, I read somewhere, that we're born spiritually stillborn. And, and it necessitates the rebirth. And those that are born again uh, have the righteousness and the eternal life that everybody is missing from birth. That's why everybody needs to be saved. That's why Christ came. Uh, so that everybody could experience that. Could have that rebirth. And those are with Christ. With Christ, a person has the righteousness and eternal life they're missing from birth. But without Christ, I want you to remember this. Without Christ, life is incomplete. A lot of times, the believer, you know, we, we kind of look at the world, and it sure looks like the world's having a fun time. And I'm not going to stand up here and lie to you that, that sin's not fun. You know, the Bible calls sin pleasurable. It's, it's a pleasure of sin, right? For a season. You see, uh, sin, sin is pleasurable. Uh, the Bible doesn't deny that either. There are some things that are pleasurable, in this world, but they only last a season. And sin season uh, comes and it goes, and you reap a harvest from it. And you always reap in a different season than you sow. But those without Christ, it seems like they've got it all together sometimes. It seems like their, their life is made complete. It seems like that, that uh, you know, as a Christian, and, and uh, those that sometimes are brought up in church, we, we miss out on things. That was certainly my would have been my testimony if you were talking to me, the 16-year-old me, when, when I grew up in, in church and was in church uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday evening, Monday nights for the Awana program. My dad pulled me out of the Boy Scouts because my church started a, an Awana uh, program, and, and I was going to be part of that, and that's what the church was doing. And, uh, and so I, I, I thought I was missing out on something by age 16, and I was looking at my friends, and they're enjoying the world and the things of the world. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. And I thought, man, I'm missing out. So I walked away from the faith that my father brought me up in, sadly. And for seven years, I wasted my time. Because really what ended up happening, all those things that I searched for that I, I really had in Christ, I found in Christ when I came back to him. And I realized I wasn't missing out on anything. But I tell you, the, the life without Christ is incomplete. It's only when people believe and receive Christ that that, that emptiness is filled. That's why those without Christ uh, go from one thing to the next, and sometimes they get hooked on those things, and, and uh, one high isn't good enough because they come down. They've got to get high again. One drink is, isn't enough. What, what do they say? Uh, uh, ten's not enough and one's too many, right? Why? Because they're empty, and they think they've got to fill it with something. I'm going to fill it with this. I'm going to uh, take this drug. I'm going to uh, put this into my body. It's not always that. It's, it's sometimes different things. 
You know, not to just single those things out, but that's why Jesus, we talked about this last week, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Who is he talking to? He's, he's talking to people that had an incomplete life. Why? Because they were without Christ. Without Christ, life is incomplete. Without Christ, there's a fear of death. Death is a frightening darkness to those with Christ. Uh, the truth is, death is just a shadow to pass through from time into the presence of God for eternity. I'll never forget how my mother, I was told that this, uh, of my mother as she uh, was leaving this world and entering the next, stepping out of time and into eternity. Uh, she, uh, there's some family members present, and um, she was smiling, and one of the family members asked her, what are you smiling? Lynn, why are you smiling? And she said, well, I could see somebody in dark clothing standing over there. And, uh, and kind of confused, I think it was my father. And he said, well, why are you smiling? Dark, that seems like something to be scary. She said, oh, I'm not scared. And uh, as they told me that story, I, you know, I, I think my wife was looking at death. Uh, my wife. Did I say my wife? My dad's wife. My mom. I, she's okay. She's still here, right? I think about that dark, shadowy figure. Sometimes that's how I feel about my wife when I'm doing something wrong. Oh, there's my wife. No. I'm just teasing. She's, a, she's the sunshine of my life. But my mother, I, I believe, here's what I believe. I believe my mother was staring death in the face and smiling. She realized it was just a shadow. Death couldn't have her. I think my, my mother lived the experience, oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? You know? So the, the, without Christ, there's a fear of death. But to those with Christ, death is just a shadow to pass through from time into, uh, into the presence of God for eternity. Talk about what Jesus said to Martha, Lazarus' sister, after Lazarus had passed away. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? That's an amazing thing. Without Christ, life has no real sense of direction. You might find somebody without Christ who has a, a good plan. You know, they, they have some ambition. They have some goals. But, but the honest truth is life for those without Christ has no real sense of direction. They just wander around in their lost condition. Think about what Jesus said when he was announcing his departure from this earth. The disciples said, well, how do we know where you're going to go? You know, it's like much like what... Christ was communicating in John 14, 6 to those who wander around in their lost condition. That's why he said, I am the way. You see, that's the wonderful thing of having Christ. You know the way. Uh, that was a message we preached. Remember, Casey, on the first Sunday of this year, Casey was sitting in the back row there, I think, right where Rob's sitting. And, and we were preaching on that topic of I being in the way. The Lord led me. The first message was to be in the way. You've got to know the way. And that morning, Casey realized he didn't know the way. He found the way. The way was Christ. Without Christ, life has no real direction. Without Christ, there's no inner peace. Doesn't that make you feel sorry for those without Christ? There's no real inner, lasting inner peace. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Without Christ, life is full of loneliness. There's no friend like the Lord Jesus. 
Later on in this same chapter where we've drawn our text, Jesus said, I have called you friends. You know, those without Christ cannot say they have a friend who will never leave them nor forsake them. Oh, don't get me wrong. They've got good friends and they've got loyal friends, but they don't have a friend that has said to them, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee and be able to back it up. See, those with Christ can only make that claim. Without Christ, a a person is perishing under the wrath of God, condemned already, without hope. They're blind and on the road to destruction and separation from God for eternity. You say, well, why, why, why are you bringing this all up? Because of that phrase, without me. Without me, that's, that's what your future is. All of those things that we've spoken of. And, and so Christ is necessary for salvation. With, without Christ, we, we don't have it. Without Christ, we, we cannot have salvation. But you know, it goes beyond that. Because now, as we read in John chapter 15, we see that this is, is really more ap- ap- applicable to the, the believer. And once we get saved, we don't have to do, it's not that we can do away with Christ. Oh, good, uh, Jesus is my Savior, and now I don't need Him anymore. A lot of people that treat Christ like that, though, don't they? They know Christ is their Savior, but they refuse to know Him as their Master. And whenever they, they need Christ, they'll pull Him out of their, their pocket and, you know, rub Him like a, a genie lamp and get their three wishes, right? That's how they treat Christ sometimes. We need to realize that even after we're saved, Christ is necessary for Christianity. Right? We desperately need the Lord Jesus in what we do in the organized life of the church and carrying out uh, the Great Commission. We need Christ. There's not a more lovely or precious, endearing or gracious thing for a Christian to do than to unconditionally surrender to Christ to say, Lord, this life is yours. You stand here. You speak here. You do whatever you want to do through me. Because without Christ, we are nothing. And everything we do is nothing. I thought about the wisest man in all the world that ever lived. His name was Solomon. And uh, he's written of in in the Old Testament. And he wrote one of the books that God used him to write was the book of Ecclesiastes. Are you familiar with that book? And, and uh, uh, Solomon, I mean, he had everything. He had wisdom. He had women. Boy, he had a lot of women. He loved his wine. I mean, he had, he had it all. Riches. Oh, they say that in the reign of Solomon, that silver, they just had silver laying on the side of the road. It was like, like a rock that we would have sitting in our yard or something like that. Just those kind of riches in his kingdom. It was nothing. Yet the conclusion of his life was vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. All is vanity. He couldn't find uh, satisfaction uh, with his wisdom. He knew everything. I mean, there was not a, a wiser person that has ever lived on the face of the earth. He had the riches. He had the women. He had the wine. This guy... Had it all. But the conclusion of his life was simply this. Sadly, it's all vanity. It's emptiness. It was nothing. And so will our lives be without Christ. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So those first two words, without Christ, ye, is the next word. Now whether you pronounce it, you all, use guys, yuns, or y'all, it means the same thing, every one of you. Right? It's the great equalizer, ye. Now, let me help you. A lot of people, like I said a moment ago, tell me sometimes they don't understand biblical language. 
and usually they'll say something to the effect that I don't understand all the these and the thous and the ye's and that. Okay, let me give you a little uh, Bible study lesson. You ready? It's so simple. If it starts with a lie, a, a lie, it's probably from the devil. If it starts with a why, if it starts with a why, it's singular. I'm sorry, it's plural. See, if it starts with a Y, it's plural. If it starts with a T, it's singular. Think about what Jesus said to Nicodemus. Marvel not that I say unto thee. Who's he talking to? Nicodemus. Starts with a T, it's singular. Marvel not that I say unto thee. Ye, all of you, must be born again. So if it starts with a T, it's singular. He's talking to somebody directly. If it starts with a Y, it's a plural thing. It's talking about everybody, okay? Typically, that's, that's the way to handle it. And so, without Christ, uh, every one of us, ye, are in the same position, maybe different ways, but we're in the same position. But we all have to come to God the same way. That, that's always singular. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby... We must be saved. Now, we used to have a gospel track here. We probably have, still have a few of them laying around. But it tells, uh, tells us a statistic that there are over 4,000 systems of belief in this world. Did you know that? Over 4,000. I think I read recently, a couple months ago, that uh, it, it increases all the time. Uh, and uh, it's 4,200, I think, is, is the current number. 4,200 systems of belief. And there's some people that believe, well, we're all on different roads, but the roads lead to the same place. And that's just not true. It's not true. Matter of fact, all 4,200 of those systems of belief, while they may have some similarities, at some point they all disagree with one another, so they can't all be true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Again, Acts 4.12. Uh, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And so that's the truth. So without me, ye, here's the next two words, can do. Now, I'd like you to notice the word do. To do means to work, to accomplish, to achieve. In Acts chapter 10, Simon Peter sums up the ministry of the Lord Jesus with that word. He says he went about doing good. Verse number 38. John 14, 12, Jesus is recorded saying, greater works than these shall he do. Now imagine that. When, when we abide in Christ, again, this idea of depending upon Christ, when we abide in Christ, we get to do greater things than the Lord Jesus did in his earthly ministry. That's what Jesus said would happen. He said, greater, you marvel at this, greater works than these shall ye do. You abide in me. Christ said, without me, you can do nothing. So we have to abide in him to be able to, to, to have that, to do those great works. You know what should offend us more than anything else as believers? Is doing nothing for Christ. That should bother us. C.T. Studd, a famous uh, British missionary, wrote a poem, Only One Life. In it, there's a refrain which is repeated over and over. It says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Over and over through this poem, you see that verse repeated, that refrain repeated. I think it's a great thought-provoking and convincing poem, but I would contend that one could change that repeated, repeated refrain to state, 
Only what's done in Christ will last. Because without him, we can do nothing. Without him, we can do nothing. Acts 17, 28, Paul's message on Mars Hill to the men of Athens. He said, for in him we live and move and have our being. You see, without Christ, we can do nothing. Nothing. We're totally dependent on him. Then the last, the last word here, nothing. I think every one of us is familiar with, with our lack of strength as we face the opportunities which God lays before us. I don't know that there's been a time in my life when I've, you know, I've looked at what's going on and felt more defeated sometimes. You know, people out there in the world, they don't have any hope. They've lost hope. You know, one of the great privileges we have as believers to tell them that there is hope. We, I ordered some gospel tracts, and on the front it says hope. I love those tracts, and I was taking a walk with Allison yesterday, and she said, Dad, I really like those tracts. They went out yesterday, and they were knocking doors, and they had some, a good time out telling people about Christ. And, and she was relating to me that how so many people that, People she talked to yesterday had no hope. People have no hope, folks. Why would they? Looking at what's, what's going on in this world today? I mean, Russ, we met together for revival prayer time before the church service, and Russ mentioned it as he prayed that, you know, good is called evil. Evil is called good. Everything's upside down, backwards, turned inside out. And, and, and people aren't idiots, folks. And they see what's going on and, and they're, they're, they're scrabbling for an answer. They, they, they put their faith in all kinds of different things. But the honest truth is, at the end of the day, they have no hope. Well, let us not be a people of no hope. As we face the opportunities, opportunities which God lays before us, by the way, that's exactly what it is. We might, we might uh, go along and get discouraged with the rest of them. We might find ourselves without hope along with the rest of them. But if anybody has hope, we ought to have hope and realize that everything we face today in this world is an opportunity that God has laid before us. Just as sure as, as, uh, as Esther's uncle encouraged her in the, in the, in the time of of, uh, of Esther, and he said, look, Esther, perhaps you were born for such a time as this. You know, it didn't take God by surprise that you were born into this culture, that I was born into this culture. Did, you, did it ever occur to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? I think that was J. Vernon McGee's statement. Nothing. He knew exactly when you were going to be alive. You said, well, I wish I'd have been born in the good old days. I think Russ mentioned that too, the good old days. You know what's wrong with the were the good old days? They weren't so good back then, were they? Some of you, some of you know that. Now, I can honestly say in my whole life, the good, I've had good times. I've never had to live through a depression. I've never had to live through a world war. But you know, we've got to be careful as, as Christians that we don't walk about and, and sorrow as those which have no hope. That's what Paul wrote to the the churches in Thessalonica when he spoke of death. He said, sure, we sorrow, but we don't sorrow as those without hope. And as we, as we recognize our lack of strength as we face the opportunities, by the way, that's what they are. 
We have opportunity in a, in a time of no hope. We have opportunity in a, in a financial crisis. We have opportunity in, in the things that we face and, and the culture shifts that we are experiencing right now. Hey, this is, is a time of opportunity for God's people to stand up and realize that God has given us an opportunity to offer hope to those that have no hope. You and I were born for such a time as this, and we were born again for this time period. God placed us here for this moment. We can't be here and act as those without, without any hope. It's why we need to remember this statement, without me, ye can do nothing. Our efforts are indeed nothing without Christ. The strength and power of our Christian warfare is not in the hands that wield the weapon. It is in the weapon itself. Do you know that? For we walk, for though we walk after the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of, of strongholds. Without Christ, we're nothing. Without Christ, we're nothing. So it's joy and gladness on our part to, to give Christ all the praise and all the glory and to be able to faithfully testify because He. For without Him, I could do nothing. I love good testimonies. And I know I've mentioned this before, but our theme and glory is going to be much different than we hear, I think, testimonies on this earth. What I'm saying is, when I, when I get with somebody who's, tells me that they're a believer. I have no reason to doubt them. They told me they were a believer. So I like to ask them, well, tell me how you got saved. Or sometimes I'll say, I want to come back and I want you to tell me how you came to faith in Christ. And I've heard a lot of, of good testimonies. I've, I've heard some shaky ones. But I think our testimony in heaven and glory is going to be much different. Our testimonies here on this earth, a lot of times our testimony on this earth starts with you know, somebody asks us, well, how do you know for sure that if you died, you'd go to heaven? Well, because I. And then there's something that comes after that. And it's probably, if it's a, if it's a true faith that we have, it's probably a, a true testimony. It's not that we're lying about it. But again, I think our, our testimony in, in glory is going to be much different than our testimony is here on this earth. Here on this earth, our testimony of, here's why I believe I'm saved, or here's... here's why I know for sure that when I die, I'll be in the presence of God for eternity. Because I, because I. But I think that when we get to heaven someday, we stand before God Almighty and Christ our Savior, and, they, and we give testimony in heaven, it's going to be because He, because He, because He. I think it's be different then. I think that's so much that it's changed the way I share my testimony. I, th I think it's important that we, we testify correctly. Why? How do you know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven? Because Christ died for my sins. Because Christ took my unrighteousness and gave me His righteousness. Because Christ became the propitiation for my sins. And I believed. You know? Because He. Because He. And you know where that comes from? It comes from the idea that without Him, I can do nothing. There, 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 there cannot be a because I if there was not first a because He. You know? 
Uh, I don't mean to correct anybody else's testimony. You give your testimony how you want to give it. But I think it's going to change when you get to heaven. You see Jesus face to face. The whole dynamic is going to change because we'll finally realize, you know what, without Christ, I can do nothing. Jesus declared that. Therefore, this Independence Day, I want you to, I want you to enjoy tomorrow. I want you to go out and have fun. You know, I want you to spend time with your families and do those quintessential American things. Eat some red meat, you know. Blow things up. Spend time with family. But as you do that, and celebrate our independence as Americans, thank God we have it. I want you to take some time tomorrow. I, I want to challenge you to take time tomorrow to thank God for the dependence that you have on Him. Without Him, we can do nothing. Maybe you're listening on Facebook Live or on the dial-up or you're here in the building and you do not know for sure that if you were to step out of time and into eternity that you'd be with God for eternity. Well, without Christ, you can't, you can't do it. And with Him, you can. He that hath the Son hath life. If you'll place your faith and trust in Christ alone as your only hope of relationship with God and home in His presence for eternity, you can be with God. It's that simple. And if you have any questions about that, please contact me. Please come see me. I'll gladly answer them from the Word of God. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Mrs. Knopf, come play a hymn of invitation. Our dependence upon Him. Would you declare that today? Would you, would you be so willing during this invitation time to, to just bow your head before God and, and declare to God, now that you've been reminded, say, you know, Lord, I, without you I can do nothing. Would you do that today as the piano plays? Would you come to faith in Christ? Would you, would you finally humble your heart before the Lord and say, Lord, I can't be saved without you. I've been trying. I've been trying by my good works. I've been trying by my religion. Without you, I can do nothing. I place my faith and trust in you alone. You do that right now. Or if you've already done that, maybe you just take a minute here to, to reconstitute your dependence upon him. Maybe you're facing something, a struggle that you're having in your life. Maybe you're one of those that finds you're lacking hope. And this morning you'd get that settled in your heart, realizing that you're born for this time. God didn't take God by surprise. And that you need to be entirely dependent upon Him. Whatever the Lord may lead you to do, take care of it this morning.